Good morning, good evening, afternoon, wherever you are in the world. I hope that came out as clearly as normally does. Change. Yeah. But yeah, I finally know how you feel when you are on Princess San Diego. Hotel, Wi-Fi, not always your best friend. How are you doing, Sean? No, no. How are you doing, Diego? I'm doing fine. I'm, I'm thinking like several things. First of all, I'm thinking about one of the first episodes we did with Fishant. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. remember that episode because I got so upset because my Wi-Fi was was leaving me out of much of the conversation. So I get I got a little advice for you. If you feel that you are standing still, don't worry, we can still hear you for the audio part of the podcast. I think that's the most important thing. And yeah, it 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 does suck. And then the second thing I thought about, maybe you should put a PFP, you know, like your your favorite NFT asset kind of image. <laughs> <laughs> and you can talk from behind it and we won't notice any delays or anything like that. So that, that could be a, a solution. But for today, we're, we're going to talk about Wiley. I feel we need to update because you switched cities. You went all the way. Yeah, I've been uh, away for a month now. <laughs> to all the way for the, to the East Coast. So that's, a, that's an interesting switch. We should definitely talk about that. And then, yeah, you asked me to also yeah, talk a little bit about the UNESCO and Carnival in Suriname, the topic of Carnival in Suriname, which is a really, really interesting one as well. So let's start off with you. You uh, are West yeah. East. Yeah, so I was the best for weeks, uh, basically one month I was in Portland, Oregon, That's in the Northwest of the US. So if you open up the map, pretty cool cold there so and landing here in washington dc where i'm at now is different temperature there's actually a storm going on now so everyone was planning to go out see the monuments got a message on the on the phone notification severe storm warning so it, it kind of died down now the the rest of the Sudanese delegation is somewhere in a bar i'll be joining them probably after this call but yeah and for some more context uh, the closing ceremony of Wiley program I'm on here is in Washington, D.C. So the next few days oh, so until good. Thursday, we're going to have some, yeah, some pitches or the pitches for today, some other keynotes and more formal stuff. Fun fact, I was actually, because there's 20 states taking part in the Wiley program and around 250 participants, fellows in total. So I was in Portland about, yeah, about 11. So on average between 11 and 13, uh, fellows per city and there's a pitch competition. So for Portland, what was that? A lightning strike? Yeah, you could, you could yeah, hear that. That was a lightning strike. <laughs> okay. Maybe I should, I shouldn't go out. I'll check out the others in a bit, but yeah, I was in the actually voted for the the best pitch in Portland. So I went on to the semifinals, but then there was a second round, but only the top 10 were allowed to pitch live here in Washington, DC. So 
I unfortunately I didn't pick it to the top ten, but I was surprised to even congrats, get congrats. the that, that's from good. one of the I, cities. You, yeah, you won the city competition, so that's good. You're getting a shout out from Twitch, and yes, we're finally back streaming live on Twitch as well. So yeah, we're we're shuffling uh, shuffling the shuffling the the channels around, and I recently decided that I will only go live on my Facebook page, so my Facebook profile will no longer cover social consoles unless it's something really personally related or something that I really personally want to talk about. So that's, that's great news, Diego. What can you share us the, the inside the content of the pitch, what the pitch was about? You can give some context. It was predominantly about, you know, creators, like creators breaking down boundaries for creators to be able to work outside job, but more importantly, getting compensated and paid fairly because that's something yeah, everyone knows someone with amazing creative talent, right? That the traditional story is the poor artist on the street, etc. So the starving artist. The context around this was, you know, yeah. yeah, the starving artist. Either teach them the business skills or create a funnel for work to give them the opportunity to actually make a living. We didn't go too deep on the the whatnots and the house, but it's only ninety seconds. So you could say we we didn't go the the territory of what we usually talk about on NFTs and, and stuff like that, and it's very, <laughs> very, yeah, carefully. But I did get a lot of compliments because while everyone was recording their pitch in you know a room like this or in, in the whole building, I actually recorded my pitch in front of a snowy mountain on a hot summer day in just a shirt. Oh, nice. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. So, so I think that that was the edge that got me the, the, the votes for, for the so city. You should have, you should have taken it up a notch, like for the semi, you should have been like, no, but, but, but here's the thing or something. So you, you, you <laughs> couldn't, it was the same pitch video. So it was just a nationwide vote instead of just the city vote. So it was the exact same video. Oh, okay. But yeah. yeah. There's a heavy Latin representation, so some unconscious bias might play a role as well. So, so how how but, how like is is every is like every country represented in in Latin in in, in the Americas or I, are others are there countries that have more representation than others? I think most or all of the countries are represented, but not evenly so on average we have a delegation of like i think five people but countries like colombia and brazil have like 20 maybe a bit more people mexico is pretty big too so yeah that the 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 caribbean is kind of very in the minority so to speak okay so here is one thing that i do want to talk about and i feel doesn't get talked enough enough we're part of the caribbean it's, it's, right. Suriname is kind of this weird situation. We have a CARICOM passport. We're part of the Korean. This is exactly the experience to people. We're located in South America and we don't really know whether or not we are considered LATAP because we don't speak Spanish. So I bonded last week, or it was the easiest for me to bond with people from Grenada yeah. and Dominica, which are Commonwealth Caribbean. Now, 
we always are like, yeah, we're from Suriname. We have a very, very good sense of geography, world geography. We almost know all the countries in each continent and at least know kind of where they are. And of course we know the Caribbean or that's at least what we think until we come to realize, or at least for me last week, I started to realize how many English speaking Caribbean countries there are. And yeah, I yeah, yeah. realized it because we're bordering France, French Guyana is basically overseas department of France. So we're often, especially also very familiar with Guadeloupe and other French-speaking islands, which are not even considered separate countries because they're still overseas departments of France. And we're also, you know, right. the, the French-speaking part. And we often don't realize how many English-speaking countries there are in the Caribbean, largely due to the fact like French Guyana, but also the Netherlands and knowing Aruba, Bermuda, Curaçao as, as the main islands and maybe no Trinidad, but we don't know the other countries and we don't realize how many English speaking countries there are in the Caribbean. Partly also because it's hard and difficult to get there with air travel. So I wanted to know, have you wandered with Caribbeans and have you realized how many Caribbeans speak English? Actually, I was already aware of the, the range of Caribbean, English speaking Caribbean. But so I was in Portland with the 11, there were no Caribbeans actually. So most of them were two Braz, yeah, two Brazilians and the rest was Central and South America. So it was all Spanish and me and. So how's your Spanish? Let's just say. Let's just say. When we went on the road trip and I was given directions and my life depended on it, I was able to give directions in Spanish. <laughs> but that's, that's kind of like, because we do get Spanish. Because, you know, the highways here, if you miss yeah. an exit here, it's like a full yeah. roundabout that you got to make. But yeah, today was the first day of the closing. So I did meet some, meet some Caribbean folk from the Bahamas, uh, Jamaica. I think Trinidad and Tobago, uh, Grenada as well. So yeah, and I, I do uh, share your sentiment. It is easier, easier to bond culturally uh, with some Caribbean folk. Just because aside from, I also met some from Curacao. So having someone to speak uh, Dutch with was kind of uh, a, a nice touch again. But yeah, the, the majority, it, it's, it's hard to enter a conversation when the group's big and they speak Spanish and you, 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 yeah, you can't really hear a topic and give your two cents on something or just, you know, introduce yourself without breaking up the rhythm and everybody having to switch. Yeah. Evening to Jill as well. We were just talking about Curaçao. So it's kind of, so I felt you probably heard the words and you popped into the stream. But uh, yeah, so I think it's interesting because I recently, yeah, last week I was around a lot of Spanish speaking people as well. And if they were talking slowly, I was able to understand what the conversation was about, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I wasn't able to get the full detail 
and also not be able to converse. So, and then you already feel like, wait, I should have paid more attention in class, in Spanish class, aside from donde está la baño, you know? We, no, but we want to, to, be to be fair, yes, yeah. yes, you can learn Spanish, you know, uh, go through official courses, but you, you got to practice it. And you got to constantly continue to speak with if you don't have like a, a counterparty to, you know, yeah. continuously talk with it or live in an area for a few months in a Spanish speaking country, you, you, you're not going to lose it. You're, you're just going to, you're just yeah. going to, you're going to lose it. But then again, it's something like the generation of our parents kind of had to speak like five languages. Like most of them spoke Dutch, English, Spanish, French, and maybe one more language. German or something, you know, yeah, 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 or Portuguese, and we don't we don't have to do that basically anymore because in, in most countries you can get away with English quite well. There, there are a certain set of countries where you where you can. I but in most I would say English. If you're talking about languages, just to stay on the topic of languages for a bit, yes, English is probably the most spoken language statistically still in the Western countries, if you will. In the Western hemisphere. I yeah. Say. yeah. And then I think Spanish is the second biggest one. And if you want to pick up a second language, I would suggest Spanish or Chinese. Surprised you? No, see, Chinese. See, okay. So here's the thing about France. They're not, I, I think Spanish is more than French, but. If you're interested harder. in going to Africa, it's, then I, I'd say. French, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I for, would think, uh, the, the thing with French is, is it's very simple. It's uh, French speaking countries that I've been to. It's harder to get around in English compared to the Spanish speaking countries in general. Yeah. But how often do you go to a French speaking country? <laughs> yeah. That depends. That totally depends. So, so, right. so, so that's, that's the, 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 the topic that Joe was pointing towards, towards like we speak, we live in a Spanish dominated co continent. Yeah. So but the, the issue is even though we live in a Spanish dominated continent, we border no Spanish speaking countries. So the influence of encounter with people is very minimal and the media culture as well. We, we get a lot of media from the United States, from Europe, and it's all totally dependent. But like no, now we have totally a lot of Netflix, Netflix Spanish shows. Yeah. So we have Netflix in Spanish. The joke I made last week is that my barber is Cuban. It's not a joke, but the barber of my son is Cuban. So if I want to learn to speak Spanish, I can definitely start there. There are a lot of Cubans, a lot of Venezuelans coming to Suriname. Some of them even staying and living there. So if you really want to pick up the language, it's, it's just like with Portuguese. Like a lot of Sudanese people speak Portuguese and they just learned the language because they were in contact with yeah. the Brazilians and they, the Brazilians were part of their life. So they learned to speak Portuguese. My, my, my cousin speaks Portuguese because he has a lot. He also wood company, woodwork company, and they have a lot of personnel that's actually Portuguese. So are Brazilians. So you learn the language. So there, there are opportunities there, but I agree with you. If I would have to choose, I would still put Spanish above French. But one of the most difficult things is transitioning between Spanish and French. So 
there, when there's a situation where you're speaking with somebody in Spanish and then you have to transition to speaking somebody in French, that is totally killed. <laughs> that, that's something that, that definitely I, I wouldn't be able to do. Jill's comment on choosing French over Spanish. How many schools provide French lessons as well? Spanish is still pretty common. But I, I do still stay on the, my position on like either Spanish, Chinese, and English. If you master those three languages, you'd be able to move around basically anywhere in the world. Funny thing is, I actually met a guy today from the Bahamas. And when we connected, went on his Instagram and he had two Chinese characters. So oh, interesting. A Creole guy from the Bahamas, two Chinese characters in his name. And I could semi-recognize them. I didn't know the full characters, but the, the characters have radicals, right? And sounds. So I was just guessing based on the radicals of the, the characters, like, is this what is, uh, how you pronounce this? And he was like, yeah, you got it right. So oh, it was nice. an interesting way nice. to bond with someone from the Bahamas over Chinese because he traveled over Asia on a ship and learning that language a bit. So that, that, that was that's an interesting cool. encounter today. Cool. And that's why I say on the Western hemisphere, you would go for Spanish. On the Eastern hemisphere, you would go for Chinese. Yeah. I, I think I, if you would make that wish, it, it would make sense. Which still leaves a lot of continents and countries out of yeah. the equation, but at least to, to have a, a, a little bit of an idea. So right now you're in Washington. DC, kind of to close off the, the wildlife project or program, uh, or at least this part of it. And I got invited by the UNESCO to go to Santiago de Cuba to partake in a workshop on the celebration, actually the organization of, of carnivals and festivals. And it was really, really interesting. Okay. Uh, we will have definitely have guests on our show that organize festivals and carnivals around the, around the world. And so those, those are also planned for the next, for the next one, Diego. So be, be, before you go on with the UNESCO update, just some context yeah. on Cuba. So the last time, or when I went to Cuba, I think it was six, seven, eight years ago that I visited Cuba. And how, how is this? situation in Cuba now, like accessibility in you had troubles with internet. Like, is it still like a two currency system for tourists and the locals? So, so here's the interesting thing. I, I don't uh, know how deep I want to go into it, but there should be more talk on how Cuba, sorry, Cuba had a stable coin before stable coin was still a thing. Right. So I think that's one of the most interesting things there is. Uh, what recently happened is that they let go of the stablecoin. Okay. <laughs> and that has led to a massive inflation, informal inflation. Because in the formal sense, $1 is still 20 pesos or something. In the informal street value, it's above 100. So, yeah. I would say there definitely something that changed, but I had, I have to be honest that I didn't have a proper experience as in a 
touristic experience mm. because I was there for a program. I was fully hosted. So I big shout out to the UNESCO. They arranged everything, 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 everything. And I didn't have a lot of time to, aside from the Fiesta del Fuego, which was part of the invitation to, to go to Santiago de Cuba. We went to Santiago de Cuba because there was Fiesta, uh, a Fiesta del Fuego, the fire festival, not to be confused with the fire festival yeah. of yes, that's Netflix. Nice. Please don't I still need to watch that show, but yeah. So, so the fire was the fire festival and we got to experience that firsthand, which we experienced the parade. The parade of the fire festival is like a carnival parade, which is really good to see, which brings me to carnival in Suriname. So if we would just talk about the parade part, just, just the parade, nothing else on the, the carnivalistic experience. If we would just talk the parade, I would say the AFD, the Avensfjordafs in Suriname, yeah. is the closest thing to a carnival. And the only argument to be made why they don't consider it that way is simply due to the fact that it's more focused on health and there is no real party aspect to it. What, what is the, according to the UNESCO, the, the, what is a carnival? No, no, I think, I think they broaden the scope towards festivals because there's an interesting thing that happened. So the first thing you have to remember that it was a UNESCO event. And I think I can't fully a hundred percent claim it, but I'm pretty sure all the participating countries that were there included UNESCO World Heritage Sites within the city that was participating. So we were talking about Spain, Cadiz, France, Nice, Grenada, I hope I'm not leaving anything on. But I think in Haiti, of course. And Haiti was interesting because Haiti was... First of all, the funny thing is that the director of the Jack Mel uh, Carnival is called Sean Lucansons. <laughs> so imagine what happens when you see Sean Luc von Charente and Sean Lucansons. It, it completely confuses people. So it throws people off completely. So we got mixed up a, a couple of times, not noticeably, but I realized I'm pretty sure Sean also realized that it, it sometimes got mixed up. So, but he's from Jack, he's the, the director of, of, of Jack Mel, the Jack Mel Carnival, which is, uh, basically the, the competitor to Port-au-Prince because part of Port-au-Prince is the capital and Jack Mel is the cultural one, the, 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 the popular one when it comes to certain local right. colleges celebrated. And so that's already an interesting difference. And like compared to Nice, like Nice is like one of the top five biggest festival carnivals in the world. So that was also a completely different experience, fully commercialized compared to Cadiz that really focuses on the strength of like the local community. And then Cadiz again is more government oriented together with the one from Dominica as well. Whereas Grenada is kind of private, private driven like the engine behind it is kind of like it's, it's a price so, price mass and and here's the interesting part so so yeah. why i want to point this out carnival is traditionally catholic it, it has a yeah. traditional catholic background okay Burnham doesn't have a strong catholic 
background in the sense that it's not the majority of the country. So which is why also it's never been like an overwhelming big holiday or a big event unless the Brazilians organize it. So either it would be Dutch Carnival, which would be just interns, Dutch interns that are here, but the biggest one would be the Brazilians that celebrated, but the Surinamese are just bystanders. They're not going to be part of the parade, do the preparation towards it. And they don't have the cultural backstory. You have any, anything to. Brazilian carnival is very, very festive and colorful. Yes. Yes. And also there's, there's kind of a, a complete months of preparation towards the carnival. It's, it's with certain rituals that go along with it. And I think both Grenada and Dominica have done it beautifully that day. They incorporated their African heritage into the festival. They created narratives and storylines that fit with the carnival experience, but still kind of, yeah, they pay, pay tribute to their heritage, which just makes it like even more magical. And Grenada decided that they were going to move the carnival date from the traditional February date to August. So okay. they celebrate carnival in August. Something I was totally not aware of because in so, my optics, like you would say, like it's still, it's still based on religion. So it's really hard to let go of the fact that carnival is not is February, but, but hear me out and then I'll, I'll, I'll let you jump in. The best part is, is that doing it in August for them worked because they had the opportunity to do it in the school vacation and also have the situation where the diaspora would be able to travel back to celebrate it as well instead of so just doing it in February. It's more a logistical thing that they considered on when the timing for that celebration. Also a logistical thing, yeah. yeah. But also a strategic thing because it's it's kind of hard to compete with. It's not hard because Dominica does it, but to compete with Trinidad and like the, the countries that are really known for the yeah, big yeah. massive touristic carnivals. So I, I have a question on maybe some clarification on carnival in the Caribbean slash Brazil compared to carnival in Europe. Is it very like how Catholic driven is it, or how, how do these two compare? Is it the same carnival or? No, I feel, I, I haven't done enough research to, to, to make fully educated and especially not scientific uh, statement towards this. So these are considered like two of the biggest carnivals in Europe. And I feel they are a lot different from the car, other carnivals as well. Yeah. It feels different. Like my, my first uh, impression yeah. of a and this wasn't even in February, like this was in November. My first impression of Germany was arriving on a plane, taking a train. And it was, I think, a pre-carnival preparation celebration towards February and people were crazy on the street. So it wasn't a parade type thing. It was just people masked up, painted, body painted, and it was just a crazy, crazy party. Yeah. So, so I, I think, I think the approach to alcohol is different and, but that's already a cultural thing. So let's take the Netherlands, for example, because that's the only 
kind of experience I can compare it with. Already noticeable is that the provinces in the Netherlands below the river, like Brabant and Limburg, those are the provinces that celebrate Carnival because they have a Catholic background. The provinces, the cities above, like in the north of the Netherlands, don't have a Carnival culture. So there the Catholic influence is, pre is, is pre relevant. It's, 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 it's visible. So that's, that's one thing that you have to already understand. And then the second thing is there's difference between people just who go to celebrate carnival and people that are really in the cultural tradition where it takes three to six months of planning. There are separate, separate events in preparation towards the carnival that are included as well. Only yeah, probably one, what I experienced was one of yeah. those preparatory events. Yeah, yeah. Probably. And, and these, these, these go like traditions and culturally they're already different from the Caribbean traditions. And, and, and that's not just the carnival itself, but just celebration in general. So for instance, a big cultural difference between going out in Suriname for students and going out in the Netherlands for students. And even in the Netherlands between international students and Dutch students is the drinking is part of the habit for the, for, mm. for Dutch or for Europeans. It not necessarily, it isn't necessarily for Caribbean people because there is still kind of, still kind of being fade or like if, if, if you as a Caribbean person get too drunk. And you, you let go a little bit of yourself too much because you had a sip too much. It's kind of an embarrassment. All right. Right. It's kind of saying like, oh, people will, and it's, it's because it's a small city. So, oh, like, remember that, that time you were drunk and you were doing this and you were doing that. And there's a lot of shame in it and a lot of embarrassment. So that's culturally different because in the Netherlands, it's, or in Europe, it's, perceived differently. And I can't fully explain, but it's, it's just a difference in, in approach. It's not that there's no shame to it, but it's approached differently. It's, it's not spoken of, or people will not like. It's more like people don't care. Like basically people go crazy that well, day fun. and the next day is, yeah. it's just back to yeah. uh, the, the usual. And yeah, I don't right, like so that. Give me one second. Yeah. Okay. And I'm yeah, no, I, I'm listening, but uh, okay. I just, yeah, I, thing. I really don't, don't like that. So I don't like the, that kind of carnival. So I move away from it. I'm more towards back to yeah. yeah, to carnival in Suriname. So yeah, we like, as you said, the RPD isn't really considered carnival because it is not it's more towards health health focuses really up on health health yeah and and i i've seen i've taken pictures myself of of situations at hotspots during the afa where i was like this is carnival but it's also not the the culture there is an entertainment there is a show there's a performance but it's 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 it has a different thing it's more to entertain and i think what for me, the, one of the things that I'm thinking with that as well is to actually do kind of include 
the Afe day with preparations to our Oriari celebrations to Surifesta, because I do think there's a strong link on how you can work together. And we are not taking advantage of that enough. So one of the things that I realized is that uh, our country doesn't get represented enough at international events. And, uh, True. and, and just, just imagine if we would have like a brass band, a Surinamese brass band that won the brass band of the year in Suriname, that would go to all the different Caribbean countries during the year and perform there on the street. And just imagine that you're a, a small, a small boy or girl from Trinidad or from Grenada or from St. Lucia, and you're just sitting on the street during a carnival parade and a Surinamese brass band comes by and starts really getting into it. You will remember that for the rest of your life. And you will remember that band from Suriname making you want to go to Suriname. And yeah. that's something we, we don't, we don't use. We don't leverage. Yeah. We don't leverage it at all. Like an, like an invitation. Yeah. An invitation to. To open the invitation. Yeah, people. So, so that's something yeah. that, 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 that was definitely one of the takeaways. And I think the major takeaway is that I got so much information from the other countries and hopefully likewise as well where I feel like we are now better prepared to come up with a strategy to create really a festival culture in December. Because for most people, it's just li living up to the 31st. Yeah. Right. That's, that's, yeah, that's what build up in between the family. And that's, and that's normal because with carnival, it's also often building up to the parade. So there's a similarity there. But all the cultural events that can go around, uh, can, that can be built around it. And the, the thing that makes it difficult is you have to be aware that we shouldn't lose our culture because like, even with our generation, we're not fully aware of what Kaseko and Kawina means to the world and how special Kaseko and Kawina are as art forms. And you could, you I could play a Kawina like Africa. You can play a, a, a Kawina or a Kaseko beat to, uh, to somebody from Ghana and they will go insane. I, and we see that with, I think it was Real PMX, it's a YouTuber that responds to, to music videos and music from different countries. And his Suriname content really blows up every time, which gives us an idea like, hey, we, we should do more with, with our culture. And we should export our culture more, but we just don't know how to do it. So that's one of definitely one of the topics that I'm taking away as well, that we should not lose that aspect because it's really important to know that, that mm -hmm. on the 31st, there's one street, the Domine Strat in Suriname is the street for the live music. And that's where most of the Kavina and Kaseko bands play. But as the charts, the music charts start to change. The music on the stage has also start to change. There are less brass bands, which makes you think like, should we incorporate that more as like, we have to include brass bands and the as part of the celebration. How can we kind of make sure that the culture stays there, but not only for those days, but starting at schools. Yeah, like spread out it, over the years too. Making Kaseko and Kawida 
part of the cultural education for local Sudanese that they're also aware of that. And when that starts automatically, because that's only basically one, two cultures, and we have much more than that. We have Indian heritage, we have Indonesian heritage, we have Chinese heritage. So if we kind of bundle that all together, we are like in the most unique place in the world because we will be able to put something together like Alakondre together that nobody else is able to put together because we are like one of the most diverse countries, not only in the Caribbean, but in the world. So there are a lot of cultural strengths yeah. that currently we're not leveraging. And that's one of the things that definitely so, uh, stood out. Do you think like that because there are so many cultures, because there are so many mix? That the, that the lesser known cultures are, you know, heritage backgrounds, it makes it, makes it too fragmented, making it easier for like Western and I'll go into the question uh, from Twitch in a bit on Asian culture taking over because that's kind of mass produced. It's kind of getting penetrated to the wider yeah, community. How do you see that? Yeah, is it sure. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that's if, if, or that's the real reason or that we're using it as an as an excuse. Because let's let's go to the bigger culture. Let's go to Holi. So what what Guyana did is Guyana created Vash. Guyana said like, hey, uh, Carnival and Holi are really close together. So let's just create one event and we match the two together. The, the full name is oh, Mash. Cool. I, I, I didn't know that. But in, in Guyana, they celebrate Mash. And like, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. Well. But that's interesting. Why, that's actually interesting. But the thing why we don't do that is, again, in Suriname, the Catholic base is not has not been strong enough that they would ask for that as part of a national holiday. And the second part is that holy is too big in Suriname. We celebrate Pagua Ole Pagua. We celebrate that as a as an actual national holiday. Yeah, that that we're... that is an event. Like yeah. it is a big event in itself. It's 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 really it's really a big event. We consider that as as a national holiday. It's for for everybody, not just those with Indian heritage. Yeah, everybody celebrates celebrates Holi. So combining it with Carnival, it's almost like it would kind of like be a disrespect to how big the holy celebration in Suriname already is. Even though, well, um, that's... You call it, you, we, maybe it's a disrespect, but who knows? Because you're trying to create something unique here, right? A unique experience. Yeah, but it's not unique so, anymore because Diana already did it. <laughs> you know? So if, so if you would be like... The, it, it, I don't see why, it, because someone else already did it, it should take away from creating that unique experience because... Guyana may have a certain but balance why would you of, do, you know, why would you, Catholic. Why would you try to do copy that when the holy in Suriname as itself is already massively successful? I'm not saying to copy it, just the idea, throwing the idea out there. Like you yeah. have suggested possibilities of yeah. matching things. Yeah, so maybe you strike up so, holy and build things around that. Yeah, well, that's, that's, already, already, so that's, that's just like the Afe Day needs to be included in, 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 in the planning for like cultural planning for the year. Yeah, 
in the holy has to be taken into account and organizations that organize the public, the big public holy events should be included as well, even though they don't have an, a, any relevance per se in December, they still have the managerial skills, the logistical skills to understand what it takes to organize something like that, which makes them a good counterpart to discuss with events organizers, which are sometimes the same, by the way, it's, it's the same organizers that organize holy that get involved in the big events in December as well. So, I mean, that's not that big of a, of a bridge or a bridge to walk. So yeah, I, it only brings, it only brings, yeah. So the, it only brings us to seriously considering creating a festival culture in, in December from the first Sunday to, of December to the first or second Sunday of January. And that's basically why I went and that's that, that part of the, of, of getting more knowledge and getting more information and exchanging with other countries how to deal with certain situations, that was that was a massive success. So UNESCO did a great job for, for making that. No, that, that, that's cool for the exchange of, especially yeah. the island, because yeah, the, the, the Caribbean is basically just tiny villages floats floating on some water, uh, <laughs> so getting them co uh, connected. So that, that's it, the hard a, part. Big challenge. Yeah. That's the hard part is getting connected. Like it's, it's like you would think if two islands are kind of next to each other, it would be easy to hop from one to another, but no. it's extremely difficult. Yeah, it's that extremely just... difficult. Okay. So let's address the, this question from Twitch, uh, since we're talking about culture a bit. So, um, says on Twitch says like Asian countries are taking the world over K-pop bubble tea. Why are people so obsessed with their culture? Is it because they're entertainment industry? What do you, what do we think? Why, why would we ask this question? I'm, I'm going to be devil's advocate here. Why would we ask this question when we've always done that with American culture? Yeah, I, I, I agree. Culture. We've always done that. So it's just that kind of parts of Asian culture have opened up. No, I, I think. That there's two parts to this, like one part, the, the, the mainstream that he's talking about here, K-pop bubble tea, yeah. it's like more, I, I would classify that as modern culture, more modern Asian culture. And especially yeah. with the industry, the entertainment industry in Korea, especially that has been heavily influenced by actually American Western culture. And they've actually exceeded them in the level of production. Where, where yeah. they, as the, the, the Western can't keep up. They have, they have like also BTS, like I'm not, I don't listen to the music, but they're, and, and I think it's, I think it's underestimated how much, how much potential they're still in. Yeah. And, I remember fashion, Japanese, especially fashion. Yeah. But I also remember Japanese culture was more like. If you really know about culture, you're interested in it. Whereas Korean culture now is like, really, we want to be mainstream. We yeah. want to be global entities. And I think that's the biggest difference. It, it, it is, it's also that even still in their humbleness, they have let go of the fact that we should be in the background and decide to say like, Hey, it's, it's okay for us to be mainstream as well. I think the reason they invested so much in getting that, I would say 
brand identity, it's commercial as well. It's very commercial compared to the, the more traditional, because you, you don't see the very traditional side of Eastern uh, Asian culture spread globally. And that, that those are more, it, it's not something like holy, for example, because I, I would consider holy still being very, very traditional, yeah. traditional, but it is more common, so to speak. And also, and, and like you said, like the part as a, to, to relate to Suriname, what the, the majority of the population, the mainstream group of people in Suriname rep, uh, celebrate during Holi is not very cultural. No. It's just the celebration it, aspect. It's, it's just the mainstream aspect of it. It, it has become an experience. It, it has become yeah, an experience. And the festivals and that's, have and been that's like, around that's And that's where the entertainment part comes in. In the end. And that's also, can you, can you really monetize the experience or not? Is it worth it to yeah. invest? Because it's commercially driven. At the end of the day, it should be worth the investment to bring it back. And even though you get back, and I think that's interesting. Because all three events, the Afe Day, Holy, uh, the public holy celebrations and Uruyari, all they all do that have that in common that it's not fully commercialized yet. It's still pretty much giving back to society. And I think that's also and, and what I'm also curious in is civic participation, like really the involvement of locals getting like this is an opportunity for us to express our culture. So what does happen is like, like if it's really simple, like, oh, I'm going to make money, I should be a vendor and I should get a boot and I should sell drinks during the 31st of December and I'm located in this street and I'll create revenue for myself. That's already there. Like the, the hustlers and the solopreneurs who are like, I'm going to have to make money this 31st while others are partying and celebrating, I'm actually going to make money of it. That culture is already there. So that's that's something we should take at least some pride in. But when it comes to culturally, like saying like, hey, there are a lot of tourists and a lot of Surinamese diaspora in, in Suriname during December, I'm going to entertain, entertain them and I'm actually going to earn money from tips. There's only one person who successfully did that so far. And that's the guy with the bike. Do you know the guy with the bike? In Suriname? Yeah. I think Heineken, no. had the Heineken had the competition for the most interesting man or interesting woman in Suriname. And he actually won that competition. This was a guy that would walk the city of Paramaribo with his bike. And he would have a tire and he would jump through the tire. Does it ring a bell? The closing act would no. that he would the closing act that he would took one of the tinier one of the tidier. <laughs> I'm sad to say when it comes to those, those types okay. of things, I'm kind so, of so, oblivious. Okay, so it's, <laughs> okay, it's fine. So it's, uh, the closing act was that he would take one of the bike tires, like one of the smaller ones, and he would light it on fire and he would jump through the tire while it was on fire. Mm. And I still That's have funny. pictures of, I think, 2010, 2013, where he... And on the 31st of December would also go 
to the inner city of Paraguay to perform his tricks there as well. He was a real true entertainer. I'm, I'm not sure if he, no, I haven't seen him for, for a while now, but that was, that guy was a true entertainer and he would make his rounds into the entertainment area every weekend, every Friday night, he would stop at all the local bars that were busy in Paraguay and he would perform his trick. And this trick was, I mean, like there can be people that can say like, yeah, it could have been more. This guy did this on the stone streets of Paramaribo. Like you have to understand, he jumps through a tire, bicycle tire, on on and lands on the streets and makes a roll on the streets of, of Paramaribo. That's that's, but you should you should check it out. It's it's like one of the and I think he stopped before. There's some after movies, Uruyari after movies where I've seen him perform as well. But I think he's pre-social media hype. No, it was pre-video, like mobile video. Like if he he would be around now, he would be going viral all the time. But, but back then it was mainly just picture. And then you had one gut shot of him jumping through the fire. But if it would have been now, there would be multiple TikToks and Facebook videos and Instagram stories on, on this guy. And I'm really curious yeah. for, for people who are listening to this, for from them to hear of the, if they're familiar with, with the guy I'm talking about. Nah, that's but, seven, it's, seven, but that's seven, the seven. fact that there was the fact that there was just one guy and everybody that went out during the time period that I'm talking about will know who I'm talking about. The fact that there was just one just tells you that it's not in our culture to say like, okay, I'm a street entertainer. Because it's also the idea that there's yeah, no street, street street entertainment is not something you really see in Suriname. No, it's it's not like just just not, people going out. Which is which is weird because you could also say, but it, I think it's also a logistical thing that it's not that big of a deal. Because if I were a brass band, I would I would just go out and perform and use that as practice. You know, but it's, it's, it's a different, it's, for me, it's really easy to say, but the logistics behind the brass band are also quite difficult because you have to be able to carry all the instruments as well. And yeah, it, it, but then that's something that I do feel like we should look into more to at least provide a platform that, that these cultural, uh, performances also get done, like during the month of December that people get more enthusiastic and more excited about it. Yeah. So we've covered a lot on culture, language, kind of a breath of fresh air from the more tech uh, and marketing stuff we usually talk about. So to, to close this off with some quick over-unders, we can do three each and three, right? let's two. <laughs> okay, two, two each and let's see if we can keep it in the, the team. Of oh no! Culture. I, was, I was. I'm already jumping back to next week when we're going to talk about crypto and NFT again. So I'll do okay. one cultural. I'll do one cultural over under and one. Totally all right, over. all right. Let's warm up. Yeah, you can go first. I don't want to steal yours. <laughs> no, don't worry. You're not going to steal. But let me let me go first. Locally produced beverages. Underrated. Un- underrated. Uh, locally produced beverages, underrated. And one of my recent experience here kind of emphasizes why I'd say it's underrated. 
because it has a unique backstory, unique taste, and a unique story usually associated with this. And to give some more context, I was in the past four weeks in Portland, Oregon, and that area has the highest breweries per capita. So the amount of locally produced beers there, it's outstanding. And some of the producers just distribute locally because they want to keep that uniqueness. They brew like unique beers every time. And it's an experience. It has become a brand. So you don't need to necessarily scale to mass production to do widespread export maybe, but tailor to locally produce production for a unique experience is also a way to go and tie that into more a cultural experience of what we've talked about. So that's why I say it's underrated. And then to sure. stay, stay on the topic of drinks, bubble tea, which has been commercialized a lot. So overrated, underrated. Wow. This is a tough one. I would say it's properly rated. At the moment, it's properly rated. I would agree. Okay, okay. I will share with that. I'm going to be honest. As as an avid bubble tea lover, I think it might be a little overrated. Okay. I I, I don't mind saying that it's it's overrated, but I do enjoy it. So, the reason I would say it's overrated, there are way too many flavors. Way, way. Wait, too many, too many flavors. Like, it's, it's good to have it commercialized and it works, but if 90% of the time that I order bubble tea, it's either just the traditional a bubble tea or I add an extra personal element of, of chocolate into it. But that's it for me. Yeah. I pretty much share the same sentiment on that. I, I, I wouldn't okay. get it properly read it. Okay, next one. The one that I'm going to do, I hope you're going to do a little bit of an introduction before you answer into it. Sure. But it's the... MXT Golf. The what? The MT, MT Golf Returns of Bitcoin. Do you know the story? Do you mean Mount Gox? Yes. Okay, yeah, yeah, Gogs, yeah. Okay. The Mount, the Mount Gox payment, back payment of, of Bitcoin. Yeah, um, I know the, the, the background on Mount Gox. Uh... So for, for those that don't know the context, it was basically... See, I haven't seen... It was basically on a gaming site that was transformed to basically the first major crypto exchange. Where yeah, at the, a certain the point, all the, major. 70% of all the Bitcoin was traded on, on that platform. And then they realized that there was a security breach. Yeah. And because of the security breach, a lot of people who still had their Bitcoin on the exchange, they got frozen. Everything got frozen and they declared for bankruptcy. And recently it was announced that over a hundred and I think thirty thousand, hundred and thirty-five thousand Bitcoin was going to be back, brought back into circulation to the registered owners of that Bitcoin at that time. Yeah. And this was in 2014, if I'm not mistaken, that was the first real crypto crash, so to speak. So I think this was the 
the catalyst that started the, 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 the gruesome beer market that followed back then. And that kept people away from crypto for a while, especially Bitcoin. But yeah, the, the refund, I, I don't know the full context of the story. I think I did see something go by, but that situation, it, it's, it's hard to say. I think, yeah, without knowing where the funds coming from, is it a big investor who made a lot of money being philanthropic or whatever? It, it's, it's quite tricky to say. So I am going to go with refuse to answer on this topic because I am not, <laughs> Marvel. Not, Marvel. not too familiar with the latest updates on the situation. And especially with a lot going on now with the other companies. It's underrated as news. It should be much bigger. In in the context of news, it's underrated. But in the context of that happening, the the actual refund to that situation, I I, I will not comment on that. And and to to add uh, one more final thing, especially with the other institutions now, with the recent Luna incident, Three Arrow Capital incident, all these big exchanges funds kind of shooting themselves in the foot is creating a lot of fear, uncertainty, and doubt in the developments of the e- ecosystem. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's keep it there. All right. Final one. So final one, I actually lost it, but let me think of something real quick. Shit. It's, it's, it's on the tip of my I had a really good one. Oh, um, okay. No, the, the, the explanation of the crypto one kind of got me off track with it. But yeah, let, let's, let's keep it fun and easy. In the theme of crypto development locally, and you can refuse to answer this one, SRDC. Have you seen the... I... News going around on that token or that initial coin offering or public offering, whatever it is. I have not spent enough time. I'm pretty upset. Maybe you should get somebody from, is it by Tawas as well? I, mm, I don't think it's by Tawas itself. I think it's a, how do you call this? A, a separate organization set up, but it is. I think there is some relationship there. Because if so, we should get Anthony to, to, to tell us more about it. We should just invite him as a guest to, to talk a little bit more about it. Because otherwise, I, I'm, I'm not, I haven't researched it at all. I, I'm not very, I'm pretty skeptical on, on stable coins in Suriname because the backing is going to be so hard to do. So, so, so hard to do. So that's why I'm, I'm very skeptical on, on stable coins. And especially on stablecoins, once they let the stablecoin go and, and let the pack go, that's when it really, it's really hard to keep the pack. And I'm, I'm experiencing that in games. So in, in crypto gaming, I'm experiencing how hard it is to keep the pack. Even with, you're, you're just basically buying trust, as I, yeah. I would call it. And buying trust, if you don't have deep pockets, it's a scary, very, very, very scary thing. So you, you need to have a lot of backing, whether it's public backing or, or somebody privately supporting 
the initiative. So I do, while I do support the concept behind it, in a practical matter, I'm, I'm, I'm always scared of these kind of projects. Right. And yeah. as many people should be, <laughs> I think. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a big YouTuber with millions of followers who had millions of dollars worth of Luna. On the contrary, <laughs> but I had a discussion with somebody today because our guests of next week are actually having a fan in Suriname here on Thursday. Uh, was, okay. Yeah. Why, as we close up, why don't you give yeah. us some prep for next week? And then so next week we will be talking about NFTs and of crypto and NFTs with, with it's going to be a full, full picture because we will be talking with, I, I'm not sure if there's going to be four guests or just one. But we will be talking about cryptos and NFTs, especially from a generation that is studying now. So because that's mm. interesting. And, and you're a little bit younger than me, so you can still be considered generation that's studying now. For me, that part has already uh, has been closed off. But it's interesting to see like going to study now in a time where the NFT world, the crypto space already exists and kind of is already commercialized. How do you combine that with your studies? That would be a really interesting topic that I would love to hear more about. I just missed out on the, on the YouTube era. I think if I studied three or four years later, I would have used my college or my university years part me as being a creator as well. And uh, I feel I just missed out on that era. So it will be interesting to hear from those that are studying now, how that influences uh, their, their study, their, their, their both COVID and uh, crypto influences, like how people perceive studying now and getting a, a university mm. or a college degree. So I think that's, that's an interesting topic that they might not be aware that I want to talk about, but that's something I definitely want to talk about as well. No, I, I am excited and to get full on, on on this topic again because guess i have to get back on twitter <laughs> i'm actually i'm actually getting back on dboss as we speak that's something that i've let go and i really want to to get more out of that as well awesome it's been a great to be back we missed last week because of you know scheduling and traveling i am still traveling i will still be traveling next week but uh, we'll make it work. Our usual schedule is set. So let's hope for good internet. But yes, we have a lot of the internet did hold up. Yeah. I do have to mention yeah. this might be the last episode for a while that it will be just the two of us. That's that's good to hear. Because I I'm compiling a list also already from this experience. So <laughs> Awesome. The, the booking calendar should be on fire. <laughs> yeah. Awesome, man. It was good seeing you again. Hey, for those of you who are listening or watching, remember that these episodes will be uploaded in audio form on confos.com. Don't forget to check it out there. And don't forget to subscribe at to Diego's YouTube channel if you haven't already. If you're watching this on YouTube, Please subscribe as well. Like if you do and subscribe. I'll give a follow on uh, Sean Luke's Twitch. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Definitely. <laughs> Thank you for joining in again. We will be back next week. Same place, same time.